recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles in West Bend, Wisconsin. This is the Crimson Cowl Comic Club Podcast. Hello, I'm Anthony. I'm David. I'm Other David. I'm the other, other David, but you can call me Kurt's dad. <laughs> the other white meat. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we here at uh, Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles, which is a comic book store in uh, West Bend, Wisconsin. We um, have our comic club, the Crimson Cowl Comic Club, which uh, has been meeting... Boy, when did we start officially meeting? We've been we've been kind of an unofficial thing um, for as long as we've been in business for over a year, but I think we actually started having official meetings. Um, it's probably like early May, like it all kind of rolled into the same. You know what? That same. sounds about right. Right around uh, uh, Free Comic Book Day, and um, and we get together and we just talk comics. Um, usually, as a club, we. We come up with some ideas, some things that we'd like to talk about as a group, and then we talk about uh, things that each of us individually are, are reading and enjoying or not enjoying, uh, things like that. So. so yeah, if this is the first time that you're listening to this here, if you pick up episode one and you're hearing a bunch of these voices, let's say you even pick up episode seven and you have no idea who these people are, we'll have a, an episode or issue zero, if you will. An episode that will always be up there that will kind of give a brief history of all of the club members. And you kind of just get an idea of like, you know, how long each member has been reading uh, comics and what characters and just everything like that to get to know us a little bit better and kind of see where these opinions are coming from. And then in the actual podcast format, we'll uh, always start off the show with the advertised club picks in which will be talked in spoilers. So we'll do full spoilers and give that warning out there. But then towards the end of the show, we will do a non-spoiler section, and everyone will kind of go to bat and pitch, you know, books that they read that, you know, can inspire people to pick them up at the racks here at Crimson Cowl. And then we'll top it off with some news and previews and things coming out next week and things like that. So that'll be the, the general structure for the podcast every week. Sound good? That sounds great. All right, so for this uh, very episode, we're going to have a spoiler discussion for Batman the Lost, number one, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 32, Action Comics, number 991, and Detective Comics, number 968. So we're going to kick off with Batman the Lost, number one, by Scott Snyder, and Bengal, and Olivier Coipel. Trapped in the dark multiverse, Batman must face his greatest fears. And that's all they give us? But I think Kurt's dad is going to give us a lot more. A little bit more. Yeah, and, and typically, uh, just sort of interject this in there, uh, typically whichever of us has read it is primarily uh, going to be speaking about whatever that, that book was. Uh, the rest of us tend to sit back, listen, or ask questions, or laugh, or you know, poke fun at, something like that. And hopefully learn so, something. Um, so in this case... Uh, I think we're, were you the only one that, that read this? I think I was the only one who read this one. Because I was curious, where did Batman go when all these dark versions of himself came into being? Because they didn't tell you at the original um, beginning of Metal. Um, and what we find as we begin this particular issue is there's 
Bruce Wayne, an older Bruce Wayne, sitting with his young grandchildren, and they want him to tell them a story. <laughs> and he offers to tell them a basic, you know, fairy tale sort of story. No, they said one of the Batman ones. <laughs> so he has to go over to the to the pulls out a book. Yeah. Batman, and it's like his the, first adventure is what his granddaughter wants, and so did the book bookcase like turn around to nope, a Batman? No, okay, it so just was right a bookcase. He pulls the book out and he starts to tell her the story. Um, it's his first case when he's still a young Batman, and suddenly he starts to wonder. Wait, this doesn't sound like what really happened. But he keeps going, and finally he gets to this point where he just knows something's wrong with uh, with the story he's telling, with the whole um, the whole environment around him. And so he goes over to the window, and he sees the younger version of himself, and um, a younger version of himself who says, "You you know, I'm the one who really made you who you are." And it turns out to be Barbados telling him. You know, I helped create your dark side because I needed that dark side to, to bring through all these dark um, versions of yourself from the dark verse. Um, and he shows him just this whole tapestry of what he's done. And you see him for a second then floating out in space, so in a spacesuit. So, you know, he's in the dark verse for real in this spacesuit. That's where he really is actually at at this particular point. Um, but confronted with all this ugliness, Bruce is just willing to go back into his safe little <laughs> environment. So we end the story with, we, as we did at the beginning, with him telling the Batman story to his granddaughter. Okay. So we know that Bruce is now trapped in some little version of that's meant to keep him quiescent and out of the fight, essentially. And, and here's where I pipe in with the things that I know about the story without actually having read it, because <laughs> I just know things, that's my job. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, adding to what you said, that first story, that first adventure, mm -hmm. um, something that a lot of people are finding interesting was it's his actual golden age first, first adventure. adventure Pulling out of this bookcase of all his different adventures, everything from the old Golden Age to the Court of Owls, yeah. New 52 stuff, as though Bruce Wayne has been, you know, uh, having this this journal and publishing these these books over so, time. So what you're saying is he pre-ordered that omnibus through Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles? <laughs> he, he did. He did, yes. That is absolutely true. It's in canon. <laughs> but, um, so... Uh, so yeah, a lot of people found that interesting and, uh, there's sort of going, wait, so did this happen? Because not, not having read it, I don't know how it's worded. Kind of makes it sound like, you know, like he's kind of got this attitude, like, I know some of this doesn't make sense even to me, but trust me, it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, which kind of leaves you with, wait, so is all this stuff really canon, even though <laughs> it contradicts each other? Are they taking that approach where everything's happened? It, you know, it's it's all mm. canon. It's all it, it all is part. Yeah, of Yeah, it's hard to get that from a read of this. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, See, Marvel Comics always did something like that, where like the comics exist within the comics based off yeah. their stories, and then going into like the Logan movie, you see it in the trailer of him being like, you know, it didn't happen like this. You know, this is just mm. made up stories, and 
is getting kind yeah. of that vibe from. And us. there was a little bit, probably a little bit of that sort of vibe, but it was much more that what he, as he read it, he was getting this sense that something's not right right now. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure how it, and that leads him to finally confront confront uh, Barbados. But Barbados right away shows him such horror. At one point, you know, at the very end of the segment where they're talking to one another, he says, "Please." I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to know. I give up. Right. And this and is it, Batman actually giving <laughs> up, actually retreating back into it's this just, fantasy. Yeah. Because Barbados also shows him all of the other Justice League getting pounded in their private prisons as well. And so he knows that you know, not only has he failed to stop this, but he's failed to save his friends and everything else. And so um, he's willing just to hide from that. All right. Shall we move on? Next up is Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 32, by Robert Venditti and Ethan Van Skyver. Bats Out of Hell, part three. The Dawnbreaker descends on Coast City, ready to suck its light away before moving on to the rest of the world. Backed up by the power of the Justice League, Hal Jordan stands ready to stop the perverted lantern until the Batman who laughs steps out of the shadows. And that's pretty close to what you would, you would exactly find in this. Uh, it starts out with kind of this view of Coast City kind of going down the tubes, you know, um, the sign that says Coast City, the city without fear, is kind of marred and destroyed. So you know that um, Dawnbreaker has been working his, his evil purpose on Coast City. And at the very beginning of the fight, he's kind of... Um, just hammering Hal Jordan. He's got him in a dark environment, and so he'll appear in one place, hit him, and then disappear, and Hal can't keep track of where he is. Um, and Hal realizes that, in part, it's because he sucks the light out of his ring every time he tries to, to find out where he is. And so he sets his ring on strobe instead. So there's only momentary things, and so he can start to take the edge away from Dawnbreaker, and he starts to in the fight. But then, as you said, uh, the Batman who laughs steps in and kind of um, says, you know, you really haven't got a chance. He kind of gives him a glimpse of what the rest of the world is looking like, everything falling apart. And so then uh, when Dawnbreaker, at the end, you just see Hal sprawled out on the ground, beat, beaten up by Dawnbreaker and... Uh, and, and Dawnbreaker walking away saying, the dark always wins. But don't worry. Um, let's see what the last little line he has. Here, here it is. Don't worry. Um, you won't be alone. My new teammates have defeated your wannabe family as well. <laughs> um, just from this viewpoint, I was really liking the art on there. It looked pretty... Yeah, they, they have some... I think... Almost all of the metal pieces that I've read, all of the, both the main line and the, um, the auxiliary books are well drawn. And I think the action is done really well. It took me a while to catch up on the plot. <laughs> and there are still times for a while I'll read it and go, huh, you know, I'm not sure exactly where they're going. And it takes me a while to catch up to where they are. But, um... It certainly is an interesting story, but we're still left with all these what's going to happen at the end when all this is done. It's how are we going to get back 
people who are dead, who are old, who are <laughs> right. Yeah, and that that's something that we've we've talked about. Is this is you know uh, the metal books and the tie-ins. Something that we've been talking about uh, all the way back to when it came out with the first one, with the Dark Days, uh, the Forge, and the casting, and. Uh, so, <laughs> special effects here at the Cryptic Call yes, yes. Comics Podcast. Um, but, uh, I, I guess, you know, the things that we've talked about included the, the plot and trying to figure things out, but also, as you're seeing people killed off and things changed, whatever, you know, we've, we've kind of wondered, wondered and addressed the, uh, um, how final these are. Because, first of all, comic books. Um, but then also, there's just so much going on. Uh, when it gets to that point, you're like, well, they can't possibly be having all these deaths, you know, uh, be permanent. There's got to be some fix to it, whether it's uh, uh, changing the multiverse or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, it just seems like that's got, there's got to be some fix for it. They're not leave it hanging like it is. But, uh, and I think there are other questions like, given Batman's character, how is Batman going to deal with the fact that he just gave up <laughs> and hid in his little pocket universe rather than confront what was there? How, how does someone like Batman bounce back from that? Not just that. He gave up <laughs> all his friends by being punished. <laughs> It's, no, that's, uh, it's not even just him that's suffering. Yeah. Well, in actuality, in some ways, he's not suffering. He's got grandkids. He's reading them stories. It's probably nice. a comfy chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's Hot a cocoa. Big, it's a big armchair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you, how do you bounce back after that reality? Uh, yeah, it's tough, I guess. Again, we'll just have to wait and see where it all ends. And is it come back up in Justice League, I think, is the end? Next the one next is one. the final one of the Bat Out of Hell piece. Yeah. So I think that is the wrap-up for... Well, I don't know what they're going to wrap up, because then you have Metal 4 and 5, and it sounds like the battle between these dark um, versions of Batman and the Justice League isn't over with Justice League, that Metal 4 and 5... We have the battle, you know, maybe that's when the battle turns or something, I don't know. Yeah, and originally I didn't think that it was going to be like, because we were led to believe that, you know, all these tie-ins weren't going to be there, so like, it felt forever since we had the last metal issue that, you know, mm -hmm. issue three, it just felt so long because we are getting these yeah. replacement tie-ins and one-shots. two and, left of the tie-in ones, you've got the... Uh, Bat who laughs, and I think there's one other one they haven't done yet. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure about that. It may just be the. the... Yeah, Batman who laughs comes out this coming week at the okay, time. Okay, so that's and that was supposed to be the last one. Right. So, and, and he's been the character that's really been, uh, you know, of all these dark Batman um, and women. He's he's the one that's been the most focused on. Yeah. So probably the book that's been the uh, you know the most awaited. He's like uh, Barbados number one, number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take them out. <laughs> 
So, yeah, we'll uh, be talking about that wrap-up uh, next week on the podcast. Um, we're going to jump over to the next one, which continues another story by also finishing it. And this is me just buying time until David gets back to the table. A little behind <laughs> the scenes. Oh, you never left. Uh, Action Comics number 991 by Dan Jurgens and Victor Bogdanovic. Uh, the Oz Effect Part 5. After being revealed as Jor-El, Mr. Oz makes his last moves against the Man of Steel and his family and leaves the Man of Tomorrow, wondering what other secrets and lies await him in the future as the Oz effect comes to a close. Okay, so first of all, this is uh, another story that we've been kind of talking about for a while, the Oz effect. Um, So just a quick recap. Um... Mr. Oz is this character that, uh, that's been around in DC for a while now, and he was this mysterious character that has been influencing things uh, primarily in the Superman books, but also elsewhere, um, say Detective Comics, which we'll get into <laughs> soon. Uh, and uh, um, so there's this big mystery surrounding who he was. So in the Oz effect, it's revealed, um, possibly... <laughs> Because uh, there was a little bit of a question, but it revealed that it's actually Jor-El, who was mysteriously saved from the destruction of Krypton, um, although he is scarred, he's got uh, chunks of kryptonite lodged in his head, and missing an eye, and, and things like that. But uh, Jor-El is Mr. Oz, and he's, uh, um, he's influencing, you know... Uh, he he tries to justify it, but he's really he's influencing people across the globe to uh, commit crimes, to uh, start wars, attack people, um, to just be not the best of humanity, you know. Um, and so it's revealed that he's Jor-El. Um, Superman doesn't really believe it. Uh, we talked, you know, in in the club as readers, we weren't sure that we believed it. Um, and now we get to the final, um, the final book in, in this chapter of, of Superman, uh, and, uh, we're told that, yes, this is in fact Jor-El, although, you know, you find out that he's being controlled, he's got this staff that he's been using, which somehow, uh, eases the, the pain of the, the kryptonite that's lodged in his, uh, in his head, and uh, it is somehow affecting him, controlling him in some way that's caused him to do this. So he finally is able to, uh, once this thing is broken, is able to admit that, yes, I'm sick. I understand how important this world is to, to you, you know, to Superman. Um, and, uh, you know, you do what you do, you know, save, save the world. Um, and... Just as this happens, suddenly he's pulled away. He's drawn through some sort of portal and pulled back to whoever it was that saved him from Krypton's destruction to begin with. Uh, presumably, uh, Dr. Manhattan. Uh, that's what all the indicators are. Uh, so that's where we're at now. Um, is Now that he's put Superman through all this, uh, kind of somewhat turned uh, John, Superman's son, uh, well, not really against him, but, you know, 
trying to get John to, to use him to try and get the Superman to leave Earth. Um, and, you know, he's gone through all this stuff. And then finally, at the end, he's just kind of pulled away from it, leaving Superman with the question. Well, with multiple questions, really, but the question of uh, what, you know, what's going on, but also the question of, is he right? You know, is there um, a lack of hope? And, uh, but it does end finally with Superman going off and Lois asking, well, well, where are you going? And he says, back to work, which tells us, the readers, that he hasn't fully given up hope. You know, he still finds that there's a job for Superman to do and still a world to save. Um, but this, yeah, really seems like it's leading towards Doomsday Clock, which is uh, coming out here well, in a couple weeks. Uh, was it November 22nd, I yep, believe, is the date. Yeah, sounds right. Um, Really leading towards that, so then this story will follow up with uh, um, with a storyline, a single issue storyline that'll be titled uh, After Effects um, or After Effect, which will kind of follow up on the storyline and really cap the ending before moving into um, uh, some other things where we'll see Booster Gold in the title for a few issues. <laughs> that should be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, as a person who's, I, I suppose, I'm going to show my ignorance here. Um, we've been kind of speculating as we talk about the Doomsday Clock and um, the Watchmen kind of coming into being a part of probably that as a whole. Um, at first, we were talking about is Jorel really as a Mendes or how is he Mandius? Mendes? Yeah, because it's also been heavily hinted that he will. Well, I, he'll bring about the Doomsday mentioned in right. Doomsday Clock, and will probably be making an appearance. But as I remember reading Watchmen, Doctor Manhattan didn't have anything in for the world, and certainly wasn't, you know, the the one plotting the destruction of things. It was Oz. And so, but if, if the scene you saw at the end, it looked like Dr. Manhattan's sucking him out, then why would Dr. Manhattan be a part of this whole thing? <laughs> at least as right. I remember the watch, Watchmen sort of... <laughs> it leaves a lot of questions. You know, why would Dr. Manhattan do the things that he's is supposedly doing right now? Um, you know, why would he even care? We don't know at this yeah. at this point. You know, even if it is him, I mean, it's too early in the game to even speculate really right. what uh, you know what what he wants, what he's trying to accomplish by all this. Mm -hmm. And uh, out of all of it, it's like, why focus on Superman? Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's just just like thinking about oh, this Doomsday Clock being a Superman versus Doctor Manhattan. Realistically, would there be a contest there? I mean, you have somebody who has uh, the powers of a god, uh, more so than any of these other gods that you see in comics. You know, he can really do whatever he wants. Um, and being so uh, far displaced from humanity as he was by the end of Watchmen, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to think about uh, you know what he would think or what his motivations for doing any of this would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was 
wondering because it seems like Azamendez, yeah, that makes sense that he would be doing all these things because that even seems to fit into his character from Watchmen, but Dr. Manhattan. It... <laughs> and and that, that sort of was why a lot of people, especially early on, thought that that's who Mr. Oz was going to turn out to be because, mm-hmm. well, the name mm-hmm. and also just like his, uh, his M.O., you know, He's turning people against each other, doing you know, mm-hmm. uh, doing this thing that you know, just like in Watchmen, you know, mm-hmm. he kind of he kind of played people against each other to to be a distraction and to get to the point that he wanted, which was to uh, end a city to save the world mm-hmm. in his eyes, and that's kind of what they had talked about in uh, in you know, action comics also during the Oz effect, um, it was hinted that he was going to destroy Metropolis mm-hmm. in, in through all of this. So it was like the, the destruction of a city to, to get to whatever, yeah. you know, that end result was. Okay. I was just a little confused. So I thought I would <laughs> venture out there for others who might be going, huh? <laughs> yeah, right now I'm uh, currently rereading Watchmen in anticipation of the Doomsday Clock to kind of refresh my memory on that. So... It's been some time since I've read it or watched the movie, so now is the perfect time to jump back into it. So, okay. all right. Um, and I suppose going right from one Mister Oz, Oz thing to something just... that kind of it, <laughs> not not so much anymore. Although I haven't read this issue, but uh... Uh, we're talking about Detective Comics number nine sixty eight by James Tinney and the Fourth and Alvaro Martinez. A lonely place of living finale. Tim Drake is back on Earth, but if the deadly threat he brought back with him from outside of time has its way, it won't be there for long. And this shadowy figure wants to take one of Batman's team down with him, too. Everything Tim died for the first time is at risk if he can't survive this attack. So we had ended with the last one with the uh, with the brother eye. Is yeah, that brother uh, eye has been activated? <laughs> yeah, so that's activated. So we have everybody that was in the Bat Cave pretty much just uh, ready to attack this future Tim Drake dressed as Batman. So as we have in the first couple pages, it may get confusing because you see uh, you know two Batman fighting around and. You just sometimes get lost into like, okay, which yeah. one's who and what now? <laughs> you get some slight differences in costumes that I'm sure some people will uh, notice when you look closely there. But but yeah, you're kicking off with the battle as they're all trying to attack. And you see this first little, uh, the way it's drawn here, you, you don't really see what's going on until later explained. But you see Tim Drake, Batman from the future, sort of like phasing in and out and just kind of getting blurred. And uh, we'll later find out that, you know, some of the stuff that he's doing in this time is kind of now taking place and kind of undoing, like... Well, it's it sounded more like it's... Uh, in the in Flash, they've kind of had the, the time thing that looks kind of like a corroded Flash who chases down Flash and tries to suck him back whenever he's changing time. This seems to be the same thing, that there's something in time that doesn't want to be changed. And so it's trying to pull him back to his period so that he can't make the change. Yeah, so a couple of times you see that kind of happening as like, you know, mid-fight and everything going on. Um, but yeah, you uh, got a lot of action going on there, and we've seen in the last issue where they... Uh, 
Um, they put uh, Batwoman into a prison cell for her safety because the whole reason was that she was the problem of why, like, this Tim Drake becomes Batman and, like, dooms everybody else. So they cut to her and they realize that there is a, a drone attack that's happening. Uh, the brother eye is all kind of, like, setting this up and... We see the drones coming in, and then we see kind of a nice heroic moment here with a uh, Batwing, Batwoman, uh, Orphan? Yeah, Orphan. Orphan. Uh, I always get Orphan and Spoiler. I always figure out which one's which. Uh, Clayface, and uh, who's the other one? Now? I think the other one is. <laughs> Orphan and whatever the other one is. Spoiler. Oh, spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler is also there. So they're all there trying to save okay. Batwoman. So yeah, they uh, yeah kind of team up and realize okay we gotta do this as a team, and we cut back to a lot of uh, basically Tim Drake versus Tim Drake uh, through this battle here. Um, so yeah, we get that, and then uh, yeah a lot of action cutting back to uh, Clayface and the rest of the team. There we see a, a bubble that kind of pops up around Future Tim and Batwoman. He basically just wants her one on one, be able to take her down, and nobody else can get into it he figures he's safe within this little bubble except that he's not because tim just walks through yes <laughs> present tim or you know our time tim however you want to uh yeah he busts through and he realizes that uh and we see more of that kind of pulling and phasing as we saw earlier and uh batwing has helped to kind of uh reverse the uh the brother eye you know, virus control, so they're able to kind of bring back, you know, have control of all that. And, um, which, there's a lot of splash ads here. Uh, and <laughs> one of the cool things that was earlier is that uh, Future Tim uh, activated all the Batmobiles and kind of like went after all the team. Well, towards the end here, we have a bunch of Bat planes that are apparently the old models. Yes, the, so our, the mothball Bat planes. <laughs> so our current Batman is the one that uh, uh, was uh, brought this up and gets all everybody into these old like Bat planes, and they're all taking down the drones and yep. basically just stopping everything while we still have the Tim and Tim moment going on in the actual uh, story here. And yeah, we got this uh, page where they're just standing there just kind of looking at the you know, the destruction of what was happening, you know, with the bad planes coming in, and uh, they kind of have this uh, this moment um, talking about, uh, I guess, what would be the details here? How, how future Tim just talking about, uh, you know, needing to do this, because, you know, whatever happens, you know, with uh, that, that Batman's life just keeps, you know, polluting everybody he's involved with and everybody that he's working with that uh, they all just are worse off, you know, even though Batman's there to hopefully help them and, you know, do good, but it seems that they're worse off, and that's what this future Tim is, uh, you know, sticking behind and uh, pretty much has no choice as these finally just kind of vanishes out of there, which uh, cuts to the last page here. Uh, you got, I assume Batman is, is the one on the intercom there, just wondering, you know, what happened, and if Tim was there, he's like, is it over, you know, Tim, Tim? And we see, you know, the, the the present one just kind of standing there looking at the at the aftermath of it. And we just kind of have a... Assume he's wondering if this is really going to be his fate or whether it can be changed. But yeah, there's a lot of touching moments. I really like that. Uh, with me not knowing, you know, just with all the Batmans and the Robins, it's something that I don't have a lot of uh, reading history with. And But the way they did this here, I was actually pretty... 
pretty into that final little moment there of uh, Tim talking to his you know younger self and uh, kind of warning him. And so, on a writing standpoint, uh, they did a pretty good job there to actually make that emotional for someone who you know doesn't care to a certain extent of like I have no attachment to either of these Tim Drakes and I you know haven't read much, but the story did a good job of making me care. So yeah, that's where we're kind of left off for the conclusion, but of course there's always more to be answered and uh, whatever happens next will be, uh, I'm excited to check out. And just following up, because we led into that with the Mr. Oz connection and there was nothing that really mentioned it. This whole thing started because uh, Tim had been, uh, everybody thought he had been killed, he had been abducted by Mr. Oz and then escaped and all of this ensued after. And so then at the end, you do have to ask the question, was this Jorel's intent all along to leave the present Tim Drake wondering, uncertain, and off balance? Right, because there's still the question, why did Mr. Oz or Jorel or whoever, you know, um, why'd they take Tim Drake out of the picture? It was... Uh, kind of mentioned that it was because he would get too close and fi figure it out. Um, but figure out what? Figure out Mr. Oz's identity as Jor-El? How would he have figured it out? Why would it have mattered? You know, those those questions haven't been answered. Right? And then we're left with, you know, the, the whole Batwoman thing of, you know, they just have all this information and now are they just going to be like, oh, you'll be fine, you know? She... <laughs> <laughs> now, now they're probably going to be looking closely. Watching close to see what happens. So, gets you to buy some more comics, that's for sure. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think that will conclude the spoiler segment of the program. Now on to non-spoilers. So a quick sell to uh, those uh, for some issues that we're reading, whether they're new releases or uh, you know new new series beginning, uh, new arcs, whatever. Uh, I want to talk about something from Image Comics, Coyotes number one, which they build as Sicario meets Underworld. Um, this is a very uh, it's a mature rated book, and uh, it's basically about uh, th this family that's kind of being kind of hunted by these coyotes, these wolves, and there's a lot of uh, um, a lot of this history that you don't know much about these these traditions that are kind of carrying down and. Uh, you see some, some tragedy within this book, which kind of, you see the, the lead character on the book is uh, a young female with uh, some swords and some bloody hands. And uh, you pretty much can get a vibe right off that cover that uh, very much is true of what happens in the book where you do get a pretty, you know, gory type of approach to it. And you kind of have some... Uh, right. it, it doesn't look like it's a happy book. Yeah, yeah. So this this definitely uh, does capture because sometimes you'll get a cover that does not, you know, uh, do the in story justice or kind of really turns you off or uh, tells a different story. But this one pretty much lives up to it. And uh, yeah, I really like the beginning here. And uh, there's a little detective story basically of uh, uh, this little girl uh, who is just left in a room. This is the opening pages here. She is found in a room with just a bunch of dead bodies and and uh, the detective that's on the case is trying to just get down to the, figure out how this got here. So, um, But yeah, good start to this uh, series there once again for uh, mature readers there. So 
Um, so yeah, that was one new release I enjoyed. Spirits of Vengeance. Spirits of Vengeance 2 is out. Um, I talked about Spirits of Vengeance 1 earlier. For me, it's just nice to get this group back. I think this has always been an interesting concept of a group of supernatural beings in the Marvel Universe facing basically supernatural sorts of forces that are out there. Um, the new team is an interesting kind of mix of... Um, we have Go uh, Ghost Rider, Blade, um, Hellstrom, Damien Hellstrom, and his sister Satana, um, who are the new team for Spirits of Vengeance. And they are trying to stop someone from breaking the balance between heaven and hell, um, which is a kind of interesting sort of, that there's this balance out there, and somebody wants to mess with it. And so they're the ones who are now tracking down how to stop this. And so um, it's nice to see them back in whatever evolution. The Spirits of Vengeance has always been kind of a changing team. So um, it's an interesting, I'm glad to have it back, and I would encourage people to go out and take a look. So far, two for two. Two for two. <laughs> That's a good start. Uh, another book I like from Boom Studios, which is a limited series of six issues. It is the crossover that I don't think anyone has ever thought of over the last 40 years. And it was sitting right in front of us the whole time. Yeah, it seems so obvious, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Kong on the Planet of the Apes. So King Kong and the Planet of the Apes are combining in this uh, short story. And I own the Planet of the Apes movies. I don't, you know, I've, I've seen King Kong movies, Apes movies. I wouldn't say that I know them on a... You know, uh, like a level like I know, like Marvel movies or Star Wars, uh, but they're ones that I do enjoy. So going into this was, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of like rich history to kind of remember like, oh, where's this taking place? Um, it does take place right after the original Planet of the Apes movies uh, from the 60s in which they're uh, going into the Forbidden Zone. And uh, the basic premise is that they come across and you see it right there in the cover. They see a Kong. Just basically, uh, just uh, you see, there's like an eye missing, and it just kind of laid dead right in front of uh, uh, the other apes on the horses there, and and that's a mystery to them. It's just like, what is this monstrosity that we just came across? And they figure if they continue to take the journey, hopefully they'll get some answers. So that's the the beginning of the story. But I I honestly think like if you're a Planet of the Apes, you know, a hardcore fan of that, this seems like it should be a must grab like the art and everything about it just really did capture the the likeness of the original movie characters and stuff like that and so yeah i thought they did a a pretty good job and yeah there's some pretty uh some pretty graphic uh images going on there when it comes to uh the art and everything in the book but yeah once again uh, you know one of those crossovers that uh you just always have to rely on comics to be able to do because uh you won't get as many on a television program or movies and uh to take two different but similar properties and make them work and this issue made it work another great thing about comics yes so uh yeah that's one that i like there and then you've got some shang chi shang chi master of kung fu it was interesting you know the legacy is now rebooting all the numbers for the original series um so i was Kind of surprised to see Shang-Chi come up with Shang-Chi 126 because Master of Kung Fu has not had his own title since 1988. 
So <laughs> it's interesting to see him back in his own title. I don't know if they plan to extend this out and have more, but um, I, I've always enjoyed the character of Shang-Chi and um, his kung fu sort of... Um, there's also a mysticism about this character. It was interesting to see this um, for people who uh, may not have read Shang-Chi in the past. First of all, you can get into this because they give you a quick sort of synopsis of who he is and what he's about. Um, so you can jump in here. And, and they've changed the character a little bit. I, it's been a while since I've read some of the Master of Kung Fu stuff, but he's always had kind of a Bruce Lee sort of error about him. I think they pattern the character a lot about after that. In fact, as you look at pictures of him in this book, it's Bruce Lee. <laughs> but the character is interesting in that he used to be kind of the Bruce Lee sort of character. This is a little more Jackie Chan. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting to see that kind of sort of shift a little bit in Master of Kung Fu. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it was a light, easy sort of um, I suppose line. since, you know, the 1980s, there's probably at least 75 Jackie Chan movies that came out since then. <laughs> yeah. So he was just catching up. And, and at this point, it's like, well, yeah, yeah. Jackie Chan was just recently in Now he's kind of making a resurgence, like, yeah. yeah. A new one, but yeah, he's kind of been out of the... I'd say in the last 10 years or so, time. he's... Yeah, there's, it's a little less, you know, Shang-Chi was always really serious. Yeah. This Shang-Chi okay. has a little humor that he throws in every now and then. And so um, it's kind of, it's, it's, a fun, it. it's a fun book to read. And I certainly recommend people. And I hope they, I hope they go on with uh, more. Please develop a sense of humor over yeah. the last 30 years. Yeah. So there we go. Open, <laughs> opening up a little bit, so... Uh, another book I really liked that came out this week, Runaways number three. Uh, basic premise of this series that began like it's crazy to think that it was like 15, 17 years ago that this original that seems like such a long time, but when you put it back into like you know like early two thousands, it doesn't feel like it should be a long time. But the basic premise is that a bunch of uh, kids who are uh, are brought together every year because their parents are part of this organization in which they do like charity work and they always have these meetings so all their kids come along and they're forced to kind of hang out and be friends you know and uh, but what they find out in the original series is that all of their parents are super villains <laughs> which then they find out they themselves have superpowers and start to get unlocked as they become the runaways, as they want to run away from their parents, and uh, but then they, you know, realize, you know, come together as a team, be able to to stop their evil parents. So while the series has not been uh, running for quite some time, um, no pun intended, that just happened to say that. Um, <laughs> This new series is kind of reviving it, kind of figuring out where these once children were because now they're a little older. We're talking about, you know, they're still like late teens, but in comic book world, you know, that's they're just a little older than they were yeah, last time. But you know, in comic book age, you, that was probably like a matter of weeks ago or yeah. something. <laughs> and, uh, and just to really leave this uh, spoiler-free for the setup of the first uh, three issues here, there was a character um, that did not survive in the original. There was a couple of them that didn't survive in the original run. But this series is uh, focusing on one of those characters being brought back and realizing that what seems like five minutes ago to her 
or him. <laughs> I guess I just said it, her. Uh, there's a couple of hers in the team. Gotcha. Uh, to her is that, uh, but it's been years for everybody else, so now she's displaced Especially in this world. The readers. Yes. <laughs> uh, she's displaced in this world where she, uh, you know, she was part of a team and now the team is, you know, where the heck are they? And it's going to, it has, and I thought of this before I actually heard the writer talk about this, it has, has like a Muppet movie type of vibe where they have to go on a road trip to go and pick up everybody. <laughs> and that's kind of what I'm getting from these first couple issues. And very coincidentally, uh, coming out on November 21st, exclusive to Hulu, is the Marvel's Runaways television program, which I am so excited for. It's been long teased as a movie or just to be getting a live action adaptation. And now it's going to happen for Hulu, which I think for an episodic format, it'll definitely be treated a lot better. And uh, the, the cast looks great and the trailers they put out really shows that they they stuck to the source material and I'm sure you'll have some things that'll differ and everything like that but for the most part it's 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 my easily my most anticipated Marvel project when it comes to the all of the different television shows that they're doing so I read some of the early runaways it was a good it was a good series I haven't followed it since it's kind of morphed into yeah. something new but uh... I've got them all but honestly those first 18 issues by the original creators uh, with Brian K Vaughn are is some of the most solid stuff and how do you you know uh the, when the creators left the book they did you know issue 19 or like who who lives up to that you know big build up and this is how i got into it because they signed up joss whedon to write the he's the first one outside of the original creators to write these characters and that was my introduction into the book and then those were so good that i had to go back and then you know there's several different volumes out there and i know there's some in the store at the moment too but with the new television show, brand new series, uh, now is the perfect time to uh, find out about a bunch of Marvel characters that aren't your, you know, ones that you don't know, basically. All right. And then you had a Doctor Strange... Uh, uh, trade paperback. I'm kind of really the biggest trade sort of reader here. I like to catch up on past pieces by um, picking up a trade. I've always been a really big Doctor Strange fan. And um, I picked up this uh, particular trade. It's Doctor Strange um, in the Epic Collection Afterlife. Because I didn't remember this period in Doctor Strange's history. And it was like, wow, well, I, I'm going to pick this up, see what happened then. What decade are we talking? Like, these <laughs> were printed? Like, uh, just to give us a... Let's see. These are from uh, Strange Tales number 1, Doctor Strange Supreme, Sorcerer Supreme 76 through 90... And um, uh, what, is it, what is it that disturbs you, Stephen? So 1994 to 97 are the, on the back it says. Um, but what this particular book focuses on is this is after Doctor Strange has fought a war for the Vichante. They ask him to come in and carry on this war for them. And he comes back totally... Um, disenchanted with the whole thing. He's vowed he's no longer going to use the, the magic, the, the shanty. Um, so now he has to find an alternate form of magic <laughs> to use as the center of his power now. And so a lot of it has to do with that. But what, I don't want to give away any of the pieces in it, but what's fascinating about this is this is a vulnerable Doctor Strange. Usually 
Doctor Strange in most of the pieces is always in control. He's always steady. The newest stuff, he's a little bit because magic's gone if you're yeah. reading the new Doctor Strange series. So he's having to use artifacts and stuff. But even there, there's a certain amount of... But here, he's not certain of who he is anymore. What his purpose is. Why he's here. What he's supposed to do. And there's a whimsical character characterization about Doctor Strange that you don't see very often. And... Um, I just found it really neat to see this kind of other side <laughs> of yeah. Doctor Strange. So um, if you're a Doctor Strange fan and you haven't seen this particular era, which um, somehow I must have missed this in the overall Doctor Strange uh, continuity, um, it's really an interesting and different look at Doctor Strange. Okay. And I think that will conclude the, the non-spoiler section. And now the news. <laughs> Actually, we, we've got a few things in the news, and uh, the the first one, um, I'll actually let you you take because that is uh, the Bendis, the, the Bendis news. Yeah. So yes, Brian Michael Bendis, who uh, has nearly twenty years of being exclusive to Marvel Comics, and creating many different characters of uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, which is kind of reimagining uh, Spider-Man stories into the modern era. Uh, came very popular, which led to Miles Morales, Spider-Man, uh, created Jessica Jones, and kind of brought, uh, kind of revived Luke Cage into a you know a new modern era, and uh, both of those kind of tied together. And throughout the years, he's been uh, one of the uh, lead writers at Marvel, while balancing you know juggling so many different titles at once, uh, doing everything from Daredevil to the Avengers, and to recently the Guardians and. And creating characters along the way, as well as doing big epic events, you know, House of M and Secret Invasion, and uh, recently Civil War II. Um, Age of Ultron was his event as well, I think. I think yep, right. yep. Age of Ultron. So he was always the go-to guy when it came to, you know, we're going to tell a big event story, let's give it to Brian Michael Bendis. So, uh, and following his personal life and Instagram feed and Twitter feed, and I've met the guy a couple times as well, and uh, he's just such a, such a brilliant writer and a great person just to converse with when it comes to comics and uh, doing a lot with uh, kind of creating characters and kind of bringing, uh, you know, putting forth characters, giving them uh, light for uh, characters like Riri Williams and kind of throwing in a lot of diversity. He's actually a father of a diverse household himself, and you can see that reflected into his writing and just kind of, you know, shaking things up and doing a lot of good stuff to, uh, you know, kind of modernize the, the Marvel Universe. And you always got that vibe from him that he was the, you know, Marvel through and through, that he bled Marvel, that that's where he was going to be forever. And when I saw this headline, it's one of those headlines you would normally see on April Fool's Day because you would never believe it, but this is 100% true and it was confirmed by him when DC Comics sent out a tweet saying we'd like to welcome uh, Brian Michael Bendis to an exclusive DC contract for writing comics and uh, more details soon. Couldn't be more proud to have him. They put that all out there and pretty much the internet just went crazy because <laughs> nobody could believe. Say it ain't so. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's two, you know there's many different sides when you see people that, you know, upset because you know they they like what he does at marvel then you have people that are excited because they hate what he does at marvel but then you'll have people over at bendis fans <laughs> same, same thing yeah yeah and, and and honestly it goes back and forth but you can't deny that you know someone for the the career he's had so far and how quickly he was able to jump into it while also doing a bunch of 
creative works on the side, creating the, the show or the comic and the show powers, doing a bunch of creative work like that in addition to his Marvel contract. And for me, being more of a Marvel reader, and I definitely read a lot of his stuff over the last uh, 15 years or so, um, not being much of a DC reader, I can guarantee that anything that they put his name on, I'm at least checking out those first couple issues for characters. You know, I don't really read Green Lantern or Green Arrow and things like that, but if they throw a name like Brian Michael Bendis on it... Well, now they're just going to throw his name on everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that it's out there and they heard it, but... So that that's my excitement as well. It's sad to see him go, but he's you know leaving behind a huge career that he's you know I'm excited to see where Miles and like Riri and Jessica Jones most importantly who what's happening with those characters and see a different person write that character because he's exclusively written them you know in their main books for all these years. But uh, but yeah, I'm excited just to see uh, what he does for uh, DC and he posted two pictures now. Stacks that are probably about two feet high of uh, omnibuses and trade paperbacks of DC Comics saying he's like, this is my job. He's like doing homework and he goes, a lot of this is rereads because, you know, while he's, you know, likes to punch and do these fun little jabs of saying, you know, Marvel's better and whatever. Um, he's just a fan of comics and I'm so excited to see what he gets to do with a whole universe of the competition that he's been writing against all this time so that's my personal thoughts on Bendis. i don't know if you any of you guys have any thoughts well, for better or for worse you know it's definitely going to shake things up both for marvel and dc yeah it's a big uh big game changer there to uh you know some people say like oh they lost him but also it feels like well he's probably had a pretty big contract and he just said himself he's like change is good and i could see him just being like i spent nearly 20 years writing like every marvel character he's like i want to do something different because he's like probably likes batman and superman and wonder woman and creatively it just makes sense to do something different you know? yeah yeah um just like an actor you know when they've done a role over and over and over for uh for countless seasons on tv or or you know years in a, a movie um you know, they, they want something different. They want to be able to stretch their legs a little bit and, and go out and do something else. So it, it makes sense that uh, after a long career at Marvel and so involved in so many different things, it's not like he can just, you know, drop this Marvel book and go work on another one. You know, he's, he's done so much there already. Uh, going over to DC allows him to, like, get into completely new territory. And he was a... Uh... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it will give him... A chance for some fresh creative work. I think yeah, that's yeah. anybody who's a creative person wants that opportunity to do some new and and um, stretching things for themselves. Uh, I think for comic readers, the hard thing is going to be, and you've seen it in the past when people like Jack Kirby would do a series for a long time, and someone else took over. What's that going to do to the series? Sometimes people carried it off really well. Other times, it meant. Yeah. In some ways, the death knell for that series. And so my hope is just that there's a way that he has started such marvelous series and has done things with series that have, you know, been given new life by his presence. I hope that this doesn't lead to a lot of those kind of falling off the table now because they haven't got someone who can enter in and bring in the same kind of spirit and 
and then I see rolling right off of that, I see the opportunity of someone like Jessica Jones seeing uh, a woman writer, someone like Kelly Thompson, who's been writing a lot of stuff at Marvel. Uh, that's one of the, like the things where I can see her like picking up Jessica Jones and just seeing, you know, you get a, a woman's eye view writing, you know, this, this strong female character. And then so far, if you get people of color writing characters like, you know, Miles and Riri, that it'll be interesting to see if that is the direction too, that it kind of opens up more opportunity. And, but yeah, like you said, you know, it's hopefully they don't fall flat on their face there and it's going to be, you know, everyone's going to be watching them basically, you know. And it was the same when Stan Lee left some of the things that he had written on for a long time. Some of them really went well after he left. People took over and made, uh, I think, new moves that made the you know something that people had come to love continue to be interesting and good. There were other things that I think went south, and and some books just disappeared. Uh, one that probably comes to mind most from kind of the Jack Kirby ear is the New Gods. Really, when he stopped writing that, it kind of fate fizzled. There wasn't anybody else who really took that anywhere else. And uh... and then you have him. He was on a he was a creative consultant and, uh, with uh, some of the Marvel Studios films, and you'd see his name in the credits and everything. And he would have uh, some say into that, just to kind of help mold the story and kind of you know suggest changes and things. So when you take someone like him and you give him an exclusive DC Comics uh, contract, that's kind of unheard of for somebody who traditionally hasn't written any DC Comics. He wrote one short little Elseworld story that I haven't read, but I'm definitely going to check out now. But for them to have that confidence, obviously he's got the work to prove it. But for to do that, you know, normally if you could bring someone to DC and they're writing for a while, then they sign them to a, an exclusive contract. But when they're bringing in someone who has not written any of their stuff yet, you don't have any feedback, like that just shows a lot of faith in DC Comics with the writer. And I'm curious too if that will extend over into the movies with how Jeff Johns is close with the comics in the movies and Brian Bendis and how Joss Whedon's over on that side. Him and Joss and Bendis have been friends for a while to the point where there's an Easter egg in the first episode of Firefly where there's a soldier named Bendis. That's because of that. And then in a in a Bendis Avengers comic, which I know is on the shelf with Crimson Cowell Comics. Um, there's a, like a General Whedon or something like that in there. So, so it's interesting to see on that side as well as if he's going to be brought in to influence the the live action stuff too. So, yeah. And kind of a flip side of what Kurt Stas said, and, and hopefully this won't be the case, but you also have to take into consideration that sometimes you get writers who are well known in one area, on one title or another, and they move on and they go to something else and that sort of ends their um, their peak, you know, um, and, and they kind of wane a little bit in their popularity and, and their stories just never seem to be what they once were. Um, so, you know, it, it's possible that we could end up seeing something like that here too, but you know, well, let's cross our fingers and, and hope for the best that this is a good thing and that uh, um, he'll he'll take those talents and those things that he's done for Marvel that he can uh, recreate those successes in uh, DC. Yep, so, yeah, that's the big news that hit this week and uh, had everybody talking, so it feels good to uh, bring that out and get the discussion from the sides there, so...
So then I guess we'll switch over to the bad DC news. Bad DC. Oh, the good, the bad, and the ugly here. Um, so, I mean, this... It, it's kind of weird to call something news when people have known about it for years. Uh, but this really hasn't been in the public eye so much for years. Um, right now, you know, we're seeing a lot of things in, in Hollywood and, and um, things like that where all this sexual harassment... And these abuses are, are being brought out into the light. And unfortunately, um, the comic book industry is not immune from that. And this, there have been things going, going on. And um, you know, I'd like to say that it, it hasn't happened. Um, and, and, and hopefully, the cases that uh, are coming to light right now is it, and, and that's, it's not this widespread thing. But uh, right now, DC Comics is, uh, is in the news, um, and this was broke actually by, by BuzzFeed News, um, so it's not all over the place right now, but it's comics, it's not Hollywood, so I wouldn't expect it to be um, as, as out there in the public eye. It's not going to be front page Yahoo News alert, like you right. see all this other Hollywood right. stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just, just to... Read, read a few pieces here put together. Uh, you know, in, in 2010, DC's editor-in-chief, Bob, uh, I always butcher this name just like every other comic book name. Uh, is it Harris? No, I always want to say familiar. Harris, but um, know the name. I just The pronunciation always gets me like so many others. Uh, he wrote this enthusiastic uh, company-wide email heralding a veteran editor named Eddie Berganza for being... At ground zero for all DCU's major storylines. He praised Berganza's 19-year career at DC Comics and credited him with the success of several series. Today, Berganza is overseeing Dark Knight's Metal, a series that is a huge seller, and we here at Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles have promoted and the club has talked about and uh, just, just at this very meeting. Um... And, uh, you know, he's uh, been, in, been involved with all these things. Well, three women who say Berganza targeted them in the past have come forward to BuzzFeed News. Uh, five people, including two of those women, confirmed that they spoke to higher-ups at D.C. about Berganza's behavior. In 2006, Liz Gerline Marsham, hopefully I pronounced that right, had been working at DC Comics for less than three weeks when she said Berganza cornered her, stuck his tongue in her mouth, eh, and attempted to grope her. Among the women who reported Berganza to Human Resources, none still work for DC, nor are they even working at mainstream comic publishers anymore. We all left, and he's still there, said Janelle Asselin, a former DC editor who spearheaded... spearheaded the multi-employee HR complaint against Berganza in 2010. That, to me, tells me what DC Comics' priority is. Berganza's editorial skills aren't all that he's known for in the comics industry. At best, he developed a reputation for making offensive jokes or line-crossing comments in the presence of or at the expense of women. But at worst, he's alleged to have forcibly kissed and attempted to grope female co-workers. Now, um, this article has a lot more of this, and it brings out that this is something that's been going on for a number of years and has 
been known about. Uh, people have complained about it. Um, he was demoted um, in, in some way um, at, at DC, but things went on and everybody seems to be saying that, well, his behavior has changed. There haven't been any um, any problems since, you know, since all this came out, you know, in uh, like 2010. Um, but there were a number of cases and it goes into some of the details of a, in, in this article and uh, really puts DC, kind of paints them in the same light as a lot of Hollywood right now where it's kind of covered up, pushed aside, people just accept the behavior. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a horrible thing that people for years and years and years and, and generations of, of things in these various industries, um, that they feel that they can get away with this behavior. And up till now they have been able to, for the most part, yes, every once in a while, somebody gets nailed for, uh, sexual harassment or sexual abuse. Um, and uh, it's not just Hollywood. It's not even just comics or anything. It's any industry out there is going to have these problems. But um, this came across, and with, with, with everything that's going on out there that we're hearing about in the news, you know, I thought it was important to bring uh, this out too, that, that it is, in fact, something that you see in the comics industry as well. And it's sad that we don't know how many... Uh, talented women we could have seen um, writing or doing art in comics. Um, the article does mention at least one of them that I recall in the article mentioned who could have worked on, I believe it was Supergirl, and didn't because she would have had to work under this person knowing that reputation and passed on something that would have been a great uh, move for them creatively and career-wise. Um, and so it's really sad that uh, with the success of Wonder Woman movie, um, you're really kind of hearing more and more about the push to get uh, more women involved in, in directing these big movies, um, in writing more books, you know, trying to get more and more writers uh, for, for comics. And I think there have, there has been an increase, but, you know, it's tough to say how many more could there be if we didn't have things like this going on in comics or in in anywhere so yeah so now that i brought us all down <laughs> well i think it's important <laughs> that we know it though because we as people who are consumers of the comics product also have the opportunity to somehow um make our will known by what comics we buy what comments we send to dc um i'm I suppose much less likely to want to finish reading metal now. <laughs> and I have to stop, you know. <laughs> and at the same time, it's a tough, it, you know, it's it's tough to do that because um, you you look at who suffers when that happens. You know, when you get uh, Bill Cosby in the news uh, for for all the allegations put against him, and right away um, all these networks that were airing reruns of the Cosby show are yanking them off. Well, that didn't just affect Bill Cosby. You know, everybody else that was involved in that show that received payment, you know, um, they, they lost that income when, the, when that's pulled. Um, 
I'm sure that there are a great number of people at DC Comics. I would like to think that all but him, obviously there might have, you know, there there had to have been other people involved that you'd like to see hanging from a rope over over this who have not um not taken um the the proper measures to ensure that this would not continue or never happen again. Um but you'd think that most people at DC um don't fit in that category and that you'd like to still support their work and you'd still like to read those characters and that writing and that art. Um, so it's a tough call to say, hey, you know what? I'm done with DC. I'm not going to, you know. I don't know if I'd say I was done with DC, for but that. certainly when we know he's but directly start, involved in a but project. But you start uh, kind of paying attention. <laughs> now the problem is, if you look at this article, it will go on to list the amount of things that he has and he must have a lot of fingers because he's got them in all kinds of pies over there at DC. So he is heavily involved with uh, most of what goes on, not only uh, to the in the, the comics, but also movies. He's he's been involved in. And uh, even though this one is this uh, story I'm going to tell real quick isn't about the sexual harassment directly, but uh, has to do with harassment. In summer, Marvel editor Heather Antos um, posted a picture. It was her and a bunch of other Marvel ladies at the office who went to get some milkshakes because they're all honoring Flo Steinberg, who is a longtime secretary of Stan Lee. So they posted a picture, them just getting milkshakes because they all just talking about memories and stuff and working with Flo and where they all are now in the company. And that led to the floodgates being open for people to... Uh, send hate to them and saying this is why Marvel Comics suck and this is why they fail because you got these people who are just, you know, not taking it seriously and they're just into posting selfies and milkshakes and it turned into the most bizarre, like, it was nuts how they went from that and took it to that. And But what good came out of it was a lot of recognition for all the people that do work at Marvel Comics in the female side of it where, you know, she's an editor on the Dr. Aphra series for Star Wars, uh, Gwenpool, many other things, but those are two of the, the big focuses. Uh, it turned into a hashtag in which they took the Make Mine Marvel into Make Mine Milkshake, which was fans posting their support for her and to kind of weed out all of that hate coming directly, you know, out of nowhere. And it turned into... Everybody, whether it's at the company or fans, and then people at other publishers, DC included, where all the DC women got together, there's at least like 30 to 40 of them in a photo, all holding like milkshakes and drinks, and all showing support over to their, you know, quote unquote, distinguished competition. And, uh, and so yeah, one of those things where that came up just, you know, out of pure innocence of having fun with friends. Uh, a lot of the people kind of rallied behind. I myself went through and uh, rallied up, like, you know, the Marvel female figures and the comics and the merch and all that stuff, sent the giant photo. I myself joined in with the milkshake thing and sent it off there and got a like from Heather, you know, and she's getting all this feedback. But same thing with the harassment. Like, even though that was back in, like, August or so, it's still been going on where she'll post just her at replies of people just sending her the most, you know, vile stuff that I will definitely not repeat on here, but just to show you how just... And I suppose all of these um, complaints aren't 
clearly investigated yet. My real question is, will DC do anything about it? If they don't, then I think, you know, that I'm not sure how I'll react overall. I mean, I'm mainly a Marvel fan too, I suppose. <laughs> so in some ways, this is a moot question, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, if they're not even going to take it seriously, then I have some real problems. And you're right; other people would be affected by a large sort of show of that. But in the long run, I would think people would be happy to have their environment be a better environment in the long run, too. And that somehow you have to, if people at the top aren't going to take that seriously, then somehow you have to get them to listen. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah. you know, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully with what's going on and all these different stories coming out right now, um, I, I hope that that continues to the point where everybody, regardless of the industry that you're in, realizes that this is done. This you know, is unacceptable. This is unacceptable. This isn't something that's, you know, um, swept under the rug or under the casting couch. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's done. This is, we, you know, as, as people, as the, uh, um, the, the viewers and the readers and the people who are paying for all these things, whether it's movies, comics, or shoes, you know, are, are letting people know it's not okay. And we stand with, you know, all, all the victims of this and the potential victims, you know, um, and say, hey, no, this is not acceptable. Agreed. So yeah, move on to the next news segment to uh, get a little upbeat there. That's uh, some X Men. I'm afraid I have to slip out. Okay, well, you'll have to listen. You'll have to listen in. Yeah, I'll have to listen to the X Men. So yeah, you'll experience that as a listener that uh, uh, members old and new and can come in at any given time on a rotation. And That's right. So, <laughs> and if you want to drop in, we'll even include you. Exactly. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. So the X-Men have yet another book coming out. Yeah, yeah. So also in the news, uh, it's uh, Marvel's recently released information. Um, they've announced uh, X-Men Red, which will be the, the third color-coded <laughs> X-Men book and the fourth X-Men book. And that's not even counting other books like uh, Generation X. Yeah. Uh, all the Wolverine, you know, all, going right. into Old Man Logan, right. so X-Men related, so Iceman. It, it, God, it's like we're in the <laughs> 90s again when they just started rolling out everything. Last year, if, or two years ago, if uh, anybody complained that they're uh, you know getting rid of the X-Men, you better be happy now because you've got as much and, X-Men And that's exactly what I was thinking as I was uh, thinking about the, the number of books that are out right now. It was not that long ago. In fact... Um, you know, the time that we were starting this comic book store, um, which was over a year ago, um, there were there was a lot of talk, and a lot of people just widely seemed to believe that Marvel was just killing off the X Men because because um, they didn't have the movie rights to them, so they weren't going to support them in any way. Kind of like what happened with the Fantastic Four, um, and some of the things seem to suggest that that might have been the case. Uh, but it's clear now that uh, 
I, you know, obviously they're just giving them more and more books. Um, but uh, we, we, we know from solicitations that there's a book coming up. They're resurrecting again. Uh, the adult Jean Grey. Coming in December. And, um, and so she will be leading her own team of X-Men after, uh, after that miniseries is, is so, done. So since she has red hair, I could only assume we got like Magneto, we got Juggernaut, we got uh, any, any other one with you know, red associated with them. Yeah, and, that, and that's the odd thing is that right now they haven't, uh, uh, they haven't announced who's going to be on it. Um, we know that the writer is going to be Tom Taylor. Uh, nice. The, the artist is... Tom's been writing the all-new Wolverine book for Laura for a couple years now. Uh, artist will be Mahmud Asrar. Which I think on X-Men Gold, that sounds familiar. Um, and... Uh, Could be mistaken. Travis... Lanham? No. Cherist? Tress? No. Is doing the covers. Okay. Okay. Lanham's uh, a, a letterer, I think, so that's why I threw out Travis. Okay, so if you've seen the art from like the, the first cover, they've re released that, and it does look reminiscent of the gold and the blue books, the way that they've got the title. And the only character featured on the, that cover is Jean Grey. Um, and fans might uh, might notice uh, uh, an uncanny resemblance hmm. to the costume she wore in the 90s, um, although it's... Uh, red and blue now is the the color scheme, and it's more armored, less pockets, that <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so uh, if if you were a fan of that look, uh, you you might enjoy this look. Um, yeah, according to Marvel, uh, this book will hinge on new uniforms, a new team headquarters. And exciting new characters. Now, I can see the exciting new characters, but you don't necessarily <laughs> want your book hinging only on new uniforms and uh, new headquarters. Yeah, I've just been <laughs> waiting for the right place for my X-Men uh, characters to sleep and eat and meet and everything. And so far, Blue and Gold has really just haven't done it for me. So I hope yeah, it's a you, real exciting, all-new, all-different headquarters. If you could put them in a headquarters, maybe we would throw on some new uniforms. <laughs> I would buy it. Um the team, yeah, aside from Jean Grey, we don't know who is going to be on the team yet. Um, it's just mentioned that uh, it will be uh, made up of established fan favorites and brand new mutants. Okay, so anybody. Yeah, so it's whoever <laughs> whoever they happen to get. And, uh, um, and Wolverine. And I had mentioned, well, and see, that's the thing. <laughs> In blue, we've got... The ultimate uh, Wolverine. Yep. Uh, gold, we have... Well, gold and Astonishing, we have Old Man Logan. Yep. Uh, now, it is possible that they would get the all-new Wolverine. Yes. But my thought is because uh, he hasn't really popped up, uh, although... Yeah, I know where you're going. He, he might have been in one book that, that, that you read. Did he... Was, was there an appearance... Are you talking in, about uh, the legacy character? Girl? Oh, um, I'd seen something on that, but I hadn't read the book, so I'm not sure. But yes, I am talking about. Um, I think it was old man version in that one, but yeah. But it, but another version <laughs> of Wolverine. A more familiar version, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. 
But and that would make sense with the resurrection of the Jean Grey character, and you know, and he, you know, needs a book to be in yet. So, right. So, um, so yeah. So that that's kind of my thoughts. You know, obviously the the fan favorites. I don't know how much they're gonna change up the existing teams. Um, and there's there's certainly plenty of X characters who are unaccounted for right now. Um, but when you think these fan favorites and everything, most of those are on one of the current books. Um, the, uh, you know, our, our free uh, Claude friend. Uh, and you were correct about the Squirrel Girl reference. Uh, there's not a lot of gray hair going on in there. so Right, and, yeah, and I, I had seen a picture from that, <laughs> and I thought, oh, maybe he has made an appearance in one other book since, uh, since Legacy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, let's see. Oh, and the other thing is, Dave announced is, and, and I'm not sure about the wording on this because it's a surprise villain at the end. The end of what? Is this the, the end of the first issue <laughs> or have they already have an end in sight to this new, uh, new title? I think the surprise villain is going to be a rival headquarters to fight the all new headquarters in the battle of the HQs. So, uh, I'll yeah. put in a laugh track there, so that's right. <laughs> oh, not not the crickets. <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds like. Yeah, Anthony's gonna put that in only on my joke. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the editor. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's you won't find it in the previews yet. But uh, X Men Red number one is uh, is slated to arrive on shelves february 7th so speaking of previews currently right now for next week or so um here at crimson cowl uh the current previews for books coming out in january not only single issues but trade paperbacks hardcovers including toys and collectibles and t-shirts and hats and caps and keychains and bibs and and whatever you want <laughs> yes and and, and and statues which everyone should order some big statues pre-order those statues um but yeah the previous catalog which i post on the facebook page in which i will highlight a publisher every sunday uh on sunday the 12th i will be posting the independence picks just going through and just kind of picking out a lot of new number ones or things to kind of look for but yeah you can always go back check out some marvel picks some dc picks some indie picks uh, but we highly encourage you to come in and ask about the catalog. Feel free to take a spot on the couch or to, uh, ask to borrow a catalog, take it home, flip through it to build your pull list. And uh, and that's what we do here uh, each and every month when we get a brand new catalog. That way it ensures uh, the product will be there on the shelves and reserved for you. Um, not that you come in and it's sold out if it happens to be a popular book that week. Uh, you can get on the ground floor by having your issue uh, pre-ordered. And if you subscribe to a specific amount of titles, you can uh, um, you'll be qualified for loyalty discounts as well. Um, so feel free to jump into the previous catalog. So the current one for January will be uh, due probably in a couple, you know, in a week or two. Yeah, I'd have to look at the specific date. Typically, it's due, you know, sometime around the last week of the month. But yeah, if you're uh, ever questioning what these preview catalogs are, if you don't follow the Facebook post at all, um, just ask at the store and uh, can quickly uh, give you a quick tutorial on uh, what's available through there. And there'll be a lot of things that you'll be surprised that, you know, you can't order everything in the catalog because you would have to have like 20 more stores to fit everything. 
So it's good to look at the catalog and see what else is available too. So yeah, unfortunately, they do this crazy thing where they make stores buy. You know, there's certain items that they'll make uh, stores buy just ungodly numbers of that product in order for you to get your one. Um, so so that, that's want, not yeah. always the case. Uh, it's usually not the case, but it is sometimes the case. So yeah, uh, ask about the previews, and uh, speaking of previews, that'll lead us right into uh, just a quick preview of things coming out for next week, which will be released on Wednesday, November 15th. Uh, I put out a list on Tuesday on the Facebook page, which will list highlights of new series, new arcs, and things to look for, uh, new events, and then I'll also put the list that will have other items that are expected on the shelves, as long as uh, the deliveries are A-OK. And so we're going to do a quick highlight here. Um, we have uh, Batman Who Laughs, number one. So we'll uh, definitely be talking about that in the next podcast, uh, continuing on with the metal tie-ins. Uh, let's or see. Ooh. <laughs> That's right. We just got a little, we'll see what uh, Kurt's dad does there. Um, but yeah, there's there's a bunch of things, but things related to the club. Uh, now, Kurt's dad had talked about Doctor Strange. I believe this is Doctor Strange's legacy renumbering with issue number 381. So I don't think he's had a, otherwise Kurt's dad would have mentioned it, i sure. But uh, um, writer Donny Cates, who's been uh, crushing it on the independent scene, has made his way into Marvel. He is uh, writing the next issue of Thanos, which will be coming out shortly. Super excited for his tone from his books of uh, Baby Teeth and Redneck, uh, a couple of his popular titles there. Um, so him bringing his taste to Thanos, I'm very excited, but he's also writing this, uh, Dr. Strange book there. So that'll be something that, uh, I know if Kurt's dad was sitting over there, he would have raised his hand in, uh, excitement. Justice League number 33 to continue on with that storyline we were talking about, uh, earlier in this podcast. Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, makes his legacy uh, renumbering debut with 297. And uh, we had talked about the issue 6, which is the pre-legacy numbering. Um, it was a very important book that I encouraged to a lot of readers that had a very important moment that every Spider-Man fan should read. In fact, we've had, yeah. we've had to mention Spider-Man a few times lately at the club. So yeah. we'll, we'll see, um, you know, in, in, in both the, the regular books... How things go, um, you know, if they keep it up, I'm sure we'll be talking about them even more. Definitely. So yeah, those were a couple uh, books that we're just going to highlight. But check out if you don't like uh, the page on Facebook, Crimson Call Comics and Collectibles, on Facebook to get all those kind of posts. And feel free to like, comment, and share to your friends, and kind of spread the word, and you know, pick up some good books. And if you need to know where to start reading and something, we've got the answers for you. I think so. Yes, uh, I, I think we actually do a very good job of uh, trying to answer questions um, between uh, myself, uh, Kurt, and Anthony, who uh, spends spends a fair amount of time in store. Yes, um, you know, there's usually somebody around that, that can answer whatever questions you might have, and if we can't, we will find you an answer. Exactly. So yeah, that was the first official uh, episode that's going to go out uh, on the Facebook page. We'll advertise it there. It'll be available on iTunes, uh, have all those links and information through the social media. And uh, yeah, so the Crimson Call Comic Club, everybody is welcome. Whether you've been reading comics for 50 years or 50 minutes, feel free to jump in. And if you see us recording uh, while store hours are going on on Saturdays, 
uh, just pop your head in and pick up a chair. And uh, we had that with uh, frequent customer Katie last week. She joined in in the club the first time she jumped in. And uh, just like that, just was able to jump right into the conversation and uh, delivered uh, a, lot of, a lot of interesting uh, perspective on the books that she's been reading. And we encourage that to everybody. So if uh, you didn't know what the Crimson Cowl Comic Club was about, or if you're nervous about attending, if you didn't think that you knew enough about comics, you know, we try to create that environment that it's very welcoming that, uh, you know, we can bring in newcomers whenever they happen to be curious. And now you can listen to it as a podcast if you're unsure of what those meetings were like. Uh, so feel free to listen that way. And hopefully that'll inspire you to come in and join the club and get in on the club picks, which uh, we like to advertise. So. Yeah, and I was just going to add, you know, uh, even if you're somebody who thinks, oh, they're recording a podcast and doing this and might, might not uh, feel comfortable doing that, you know, feel free to just come in, pull up a chair and uh, sit down and, and listen to us live. Yep. All audio, no video, because that could be a big, you know, turning point too for anybody that, uh, you know, is just unaware of what the podcast thing is. But Yeah, uh, me on video just uh, turned people away. <laughs> and I purposely don't put myself on video because I don't want all the extra attention and the fame and stuff. So it, it's a burden I don't uh, want to take upon myself. So, um, And we're che- trying to chase all the ladies away from David as it is. Yeah, so. I feel like if I... <laughs> If I said more, if I was on video here, we'd just have too many people in this room. Yeah, it's just like, then you start breaking fire codes and things like that. And, you know, we we don't want to bring that into it. But, yeah, so hopefully, uh, you know, this is our first uh, issue slash episode. I listen back at issue zero, which will hopefully be up before this one. And it will constantly be in the feed. So if you need to know a little profile on each and every member of the club, um, feel free to listen to that. And, uh, yeah. I think that will close it off very good. So this whole time, I've been Anthony. I'm David. The other David. And Kurt's dad left, but he says bye. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. The Crimson Cowl Comic Club is recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles at 1749 Barton Avenue in West Bend, Wisconsin. For more information, visit us online at www.crimsoncowl.com.